0: Uh, good evening and welcome to the January 2024 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres and I'm your Commission Chairperson. We are holding our meeting at City Hall tonight. Members of the public are invited to attend our meetings in person or remotely. For those of you who are interested in how our Commission works or serving on this Commission, please visit our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. Agendas minutes and any supporting documents links to our social media accounts and videos of past meetings can be found on our website. Video of this evening's meeting will be available on our website by tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Commissioner Tobin, can you please take roll when you are ready?
1: Yes, i want to call your name um, state if you're present uh, chair, Michael Angelo Torres.
0: Here, yes, present
1: vice chair, Irina, Osunoy, present. Commissioner Lisa Fagundes present. Um Commissioner Michael Reed. Present. Um and Commissioner Michaela Garfinkel is out tech this evening, and we're waiting to hear from Brian Ben Horn. Um I'm Jane Tobin and I am present. Um as you know, advisors are called in as needed. Um our advisor panel is as follows, Christopher Campbell was with SF Rec and Park. Um, Dr. George Hahn with the SF Public Health Department, Officer Greg Sutherland from the SF Police Department, and Deputy Director Amy Corso of San Francisco Animal Care and Control. She will be attending in February.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I'm aware of, um, Commissioner, Garfinkel being out, I'm not too sure. I haven't heard anything of concerning commissioner van horn, but we do have a quorum so we can continue with the meeting and hopefully he'll be able to join us soon. Okay, Uh, item number 2, general public comment at this time, members of the public may address the commission with comments, excuse me with comments. On items within the commission's jurisdiction, please note that the mikaboo companion bird rescue and Solala uh, animal rescue agenda items. Have, been, have their own public comment periods, so please wait for those public comment periods if you wish to make a comment on those items. Just a reminder that remote meeting attendees are no longer able to provide public comment as instructed by the mayor's office, except as legally required to enable people with disabilities to participate in our meetings. An announcement was made at our last meeting concerning this change. If you're not able to attend our meeting in person and wish to provide a public comment, we encourage you to submit a written public comment. These can be sent via email to michaelangelo.toris at sfdph.org. If you submit a written public comment, please be sure to write public comment in the message subject line. Written public comments will be acknowledged during the meeting and will also be shared on the meetings agenda page on our website for reasons of timing written public comments need to be received by 530 PM the day before our meeting, which would be Wednesday before our meeting. Uh, members of the public will have two minutes to provide a comment when making your comment please direct your comment to the commission as a whole as opposed to individual commissioners please be aware that if we have a large number of people wishing to comment we may adjust the time allowed to only one person to only one minute per comment this is done for timing purposes and to allow as many people as possible to provide comments if there's a need to make this change it will be announced before this for first speaker um we will stick with the two minute limit uh for this meeting um, we will open it up for public comment. Do we have anyone attending? Who would like to make a public comment? If so, please approach the podium.
2: Mm-hmm. Let me check the mic. just a
0: moment. Sorry. This is the first time
3: i tried
0: to do everything without notes
4: okay try now okay yeah that's better um good evening commissioners i hope everyone had a wonderful holiday season and we're looking forward to new year with more hope for helping all our animal brethren um i just wanted to call attention to the papers i'm handing out on the 1 side, there is a letter from a uh, letter to the editor from Eric Mills of action for animals. Um, Eric is the most incredible activist. I suggest everyone get on the barn website, which is Bay, Bay Area animal rights network. It's B. A. A. R. N. 2 A's um, he posts something on there literally every day I actually posts several things. He's a dynamo. He's um, always writing letters to the editor. He, there's also a video that was made on him by one Tony Segal. That's S E H G A L, Segal. And he did a wonderful video on Eric on the rodeos and the live animal markets. So, very worthy of seeing that. Um, anyway, and then also about daylighting on the back. Um, this is a new law that's going to take effect. Daylighting is when you can't park near the corners. And this is like common sense. I mean, cars should not park on corners anyway, because you see so many animals, people that have dogs that are on a really, really long leash. And they um, have a leash, really, you know, far out, like you know, maybe ten feet. And they step out on the curb, and the car's coming up the hill, making a right turn, and the car's looking to the left for cars approaching them, and they don't look for dogs or children or people. So um, daylighting is really going to be important because there's so many animals that are killed by cars every year. And we need speed cameras. We need um, police to um, sight people that are speeding. They're just flying all over the place. On Geary Boulevard, which is where we live, so um daylighting is gonna
0: be really helpful for animals. okay, thank you thank you, and thank you for the handout. Um, any more comments from anyone in the audience
5: I um Nadine may and disregard the forehead. nobody beat me up. I just fell while running for the bus, so um here to comment on something that i thought another person would be here to comment on but apparently i'm the first there was a long thread on next door about a dog who was left pretty much abandoned in a horrible situation in a backyard in the bayview um underfed old looked really bad And the neighbors called ACC again and again, and there was a long thread about this. People were really upset. ACC went out there twice, and they basically, I guess, believed what the people told them, which was the dog was well cared for, and they loved him, and he had shelter out there in the yard. Well, at the end of all these comments and CC going out there twice and basically saying we can't do anything because the dog is property, um, the people themselves took the dog ACC and had her euthanized there. She was 13 years old. She was in really bad condition. The vet said, and my point is i'm not blaming the officers that have to go out and deal with this kind of stuff i'm but what is the policy i would love to have this be an agenda item if possible the policy on being able to remove an animal that is obviously being ab- abused i mean that dog was being starved i don't have a picture of it it's on my phone but the dog was Starving and in the middle of debris, all sorts of garbage and no sign of shelter. So. That's what I'm here for. I wanted to bring that up. Thank you.
0: Thank you for your comments. Any other 1, any other comments please approach the podium. Thank you.
6: Hi, my name is Catherine Alvarez and I'm also here for the German shepherd. Um, I'm actually the neighbor that made several complaints and reports to animal care and control since 2012, because, um, unfortunately, I don't have documentation, but I witnessed this dog owner not fed their dog for over 3, 4 days. The dog didn't have proper shelter and they didn't um, when it was cold, the dog didn't again didn't have a dog house when it was hot. They didn't even have water. And, um, unfortunately, the last time I saw the dog was when I took that picture, but I also have several pictures of the dog where he's drooling and asking for food because he was really hungry. I know some neighbors were feeding the dog and that's why the dog was in good shape throughout the years. Um. I'm not sure who they were, but I know for a fact, these dog owners were not the one feeding the dog. I witnessed them sometimes throwing a piece of bread. And now when they have the younger dog, I witnessed both dogs fighting each other for food. And I, 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 I'm sure that both dogs were suffering and now they have a second dog. And it really frustrates me and breaks my heart to know that these people, who put this this older dog through so much pain throughout the years, they didn't even get a fine. They didn't get a warning and they were allowed to keep the second dog. And that's, that's, I'm not here to say that animal control failed the dog. Animal control is not the issue. I believe the issue is a system problem. And unfortunately we don't have stronger laws for animals. And this is why I'm here because I, Want to try to see how we can work together to make better laws for dogs and also to see what we can do with these owners who didn't even get a warning or anything. And now they have a 2nd dog and I'm afraid of the 2nd dog who go through the same thing over again. Okay, thank you. Time's up. Okay. Thank Thank you you. very much.
0: Thank you. Catherine for your comment. Is, Is there anyone else who would like to comment before we close public comment?
4: Sure, I forgot the video. Sorry. I forgot the name of the video is called a quest for compassion. I forgot to mention that. Okay.
0: Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Before we go on, let me just mention, um, you know, as, as you know, and I know you're being very respectful of the agenda. There's certain things we can't talk about unless they're on the agenda. But what I will mention is, I know that some of you have been in contact with me, please feel free to still continue to contact me we can discuss things and you know as i mentioned sfacc the representative will be here next month and if there are questions you know we can we can ask them you know so please you know you know feel free to reach out to me and you know and let me know some of your questions and you know and i will go ahead and prepare them when when you know the representative is here okay thank you and thank you for your concern and thank you for coming by to voice your concern and your compassion okay Okay, so um seeing no one else offering a comment. We will close public comments um, next on the agenda is approval of draft minutes from the November 2023 meeting. Excuse me. The draft minutes document for our November meeting was distributed to commissioners earlier this week and I believe everyone has a, has had a chance to review them. Are there any questions, comments or corrections to the draft minutes before voting? Okay, seeing none when I call your name, please state. Yes. If you're in favor of approving the minutes or no, if you're not in favor. Uh, commissioner Uh, uh Yes, uh, com- Commissioner Garfunkel's not here. Excuse me. Uh, commissioner. Ozenry? Yes, Commissioner Reed. Yes. Commissioner Tobin. Yes, Commissioner Van Horn. Yes. Okay. Great. Uh, thank you. Um, no November meeting minutes are approved. Okay. Moving on to chairpersons and commissioner reports. Commissioners reports regarding recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the Commission in the past. Are there any, uh, are there any reports to share? Okay, seeing none, we're moving on to new business, uh, wild parrots of San Francisco rescue and habilitation efforts by Micaboo. Uh Sarah. Lummery CEO of Micaboo companion bird rescue will present on organizations work helping wild. Birds in the Bay Area, Uh, Sarah, welcome to the commission. Um, We've received a number of questions concerning birds, parrots in particular, especially during the last few months. So we're happy to have you here. Uh, Please feel free to introduce yourself and begin your presentation when you're ready.
7: Wonderful. Thank you. I'm going to begin with my screen share. We'll get that up before we jump in.
2: Make sure that it's full
7: screen. Okay, perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much for inviting us and uh, allowing us to present today. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Sarah and I'm the current CEO of McAbu companion bird rescue. Um, the topic today is a focus on, um, our efforts, uh, to help the wild parrots of San Francisco and provide some insight into our activities there. Some of the themes that we're seeing and just provide some general awareness of the work that is happening there and ways that uh, it can be supported. Um, and also just a little bit of, um, information to support public education since so this is a great opportunity to do that. Um, And perhaps, now that there are official animal, this might be something that we consider doing on a not super frequent, but perhaps regular cadence um, to continue uh, sharing information about them and their welfare. Um, I'm going to start with a very small number of slides about mikaboo just uh, for anyone who is not familiar with the organization, but I will quickly move into discussing the wild parrots as they are the focus of today's topic. Um, but to provide a little context around the organization, um, as we are helping, uh, the sick and injured members of the wild flock, we've been around for just over 25 years and we are a completely volunteer organization. We're a 501c3. Um, we are 501 c 3 we do not have a building or a facility We're a network of foster homes. So at any given time, obviously, as birds um, are taken in and adopted our foster home population fluctuates a little bit, but it tends to go between about 130 to 170 active foster homes um, and those are caring for currently over 450 foster birds in the greater San Francisco Bay area. So we have fosters active um, south of here down to Monterey area and a little bit beyond and also all the way up to Sacramento Valley. And depending on the need and what we're able to accommodate uh, in any given year, we've taken anything in from 150 birds a year up to North of 350 when we've had some larger rescue situations happen. There's lots of information about our organization on our website, mikabu.org, And um, if you are interested in learning more about us, there's a lot there. So I'm going to try and keep it pretty um, light today to get into the main topic. Um, But we have a great cohort of volunteers um, that keep the organization running Um, and we're also very well connected to other um reputable parrot sanctuaries and rescues. Um, there is a, a group called the Parrot Conservation Alliance, which is a network of GFAS accredited sanctuaries and rescues that those sanctuaries nominate. Um, and we're very pleased to be part of that network. It provides ongoing collaboration, education and awareness around best practices for what is a fairly specialized um, animal to care for. Um, and so, um, we were very pleased to be invited to um, join that organization when it was founded 4 years ago. And that's provided some great resources for us as well. Um. And I think is a reflection of our good standing across the country. Um. It's not all glamorous work. There is a lot of, uh, going into very unsanitary conditions and helping birds in deplorable conditions. Um but uh, our volunteers do it with great commitment and we're grateful for that and the topic today of course is our friends in San Francisco so let me begin by providing a little context around the flock in San Francisco and the wider bay area Um, so in the bay area um, to the best of our knowledge at this time there are three active uh, flocks of wild parrots so uh, obviously today we're focusing on San Francisco but let's not forget that um, just down 101 a little bit, we have another couple of flocks that are active. Um, We have a small flock in Palo Alto and um, another flock in Sunnyvale. Um, These are uh, not completely the same. Um, The flock in San Francisco consists of um, hybrids between uh, the mitered parakeet and the red mass parakeet. And in Palo Alto and Sunnyvale, whilst it's very similar, there is a slight uh, tendency to have the population a little bit more mitered. So the miter parakeet traits um, are much more prevalent in those birds. They're a little bit larger and they have more of the mitered um, pattern. And their vocalizations are a little different. So whilst they might look very similar at first glance, um, they are not exactly the same, which is interesting because they're not that far away, but the population um, does show a discernible difference. Um, in terms of population numbers, we'll talk about San Francisco in a minute. Palo Alto, I, I don't have a number for, but I suspect that is the smallest of the three, the three flocks. Um, and then in San, in San Jose and Sunnyvale, um, we did uh, do a count in 2023, and our best guess is that there's approximately 35 parrots in that flock. But that was a one off count. It would be great to do some more to get more confident about those numbers. This is a photograph showing uh, pretty much all of the wild flock of San Francisco um, taken in 2021. Um, I don't think the numbers have changed substantially since then. Um, I particularly like this picture because it was taken at the roost at sunrise um, during the winter months. So, of course, in the poplar trees, there, it's very easy to see the individuals. This is pretty much the whole flock. This is um, early February before nesting season begins. So they're all pretty much coming back to the roost. And, um, pretty, um, standard approach for counting larger groups of birds is to attempt to group them into groups of 10. So, if you do that in this graphic, um, you come up with something approaching 220 birds. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, um, the main reasons why they come into rescue now. Um, obviously. When they're healthy and happy and flying around in the city, uh, we're very happy for them to be there and uh, we hope that we don't see them, Um, but when they do get sick or injured uh, members of the public will find them on the ground. And bring them uh, to San Francisco animal shelter and that's usually when we come into play and we'll get a. A message that there is a new parrot that looks like it's from the wild flock and we, um, most of the time are able to attend within um, 12 hours to pick up the bird and uh, get it straight to medical care. Um, I've kind of grouped the main causes of injury and illness into 4 starting with the most um, common reason that we see the birds coming into rescue. Um, unfortunately, that is rat poison, um, uh, specifically bromethalin poisoning, and I'm going to talk about that in a few following slides a little bit later on. Um, definitely, we're keen to um, help with public education around that because it would vastly lower the amount of rescue load that we see coming in from San Francisco wild um, Secondly, uh, we'll see birds with physical trauma and that's um, usually from some high speed impact with. A building, a car or the ground, perhaps evading a predator or just um, having an unfortunate accident. Um, That can lead to broken wings or spines, legs or hip fractures, broken tails or facial injuries. Um, We will see a little bump in September, because that is when the new babies of the year will fledge. Um, So the nesting season runs through uh, June, July, August and September. We'll see. Um, babies starting to jump out of nest even in late August. Um, and depending on how the fledging season goes and the weather at the time and a number of other external factors, we'll see anything from one to four babies in a year. Um, and then sometimes there will be um, victims that were clearly uh, the result of a predator attack. Um, they will have puncture wounds and physical trauma consistent with predator attack. Sometimes the birds survive that and are found um, struggling on the ground. Um, and are taken to the shelter. All of these obviously require immediate medical care. So every single bird that we take in from these scenarios has to go straight to a vet and is often hospitalized for a period of time. Um, I'm going to give a small number of examples of some of these. Um. I've done presentations where we've talked more about the individuals. I don't think that's necessarily the big focus here, but a few uh, examples of each, just to give you um, some idea of what that looks like in practice. Um, I have a couple of birds here, um, Julian uh, and then who um, had leg fractures. Uh, We are able to get the birds into casts and those can be healed. It often results in reduced mobility. Um, so the bird would not thrive in the wild after that kind of injury most of the time, um, but they can still have great quality of life once the leg has healed up. Um, so we have a couple of examples of that. Zelly was a younger bird who um, most likely um, was less than a year old when this happened. Then I have an example of a predator attack. Um, This photograph was taken by a member of the public who noticed this bird uh, at their windowsill. Um, They were putting food out for the wild animals, uh, wild birds, and um, the parrots obviously find that. Um, Mushy had been attacked by a hawk, and you can see that there is a hole right through the top of the beak on the upper beak, um, which is a result of being grabbed by the hawk. Um, But Mushy was able to get away and this member of the public was able to um, pick up the bird and get them to us for help and she has fully recovered from her injuries. She has a slightly deformed upper beak, but it has grown back quite nicely and she's doing very well in foster care. And then we have a couple of examples of hospitalized birds, Hattie and Boley. You can see that they're on a flannel base um, and they're not perching normally as you would expect. Um, are staying very low to the the ground and they're not able to hold themselves up. Um, and this is a classic example of what a bird looks like after exposure to bromethylene. Um, so the birds that come in that have been exposed to rat poison, um, they will often have um, problems with holding their head up straight. Um, they will eat more slowly, move more slowly. They would not be able to fly straight. Um. And uh, they may have problems gripping with their feet and their digestive system is often affected and can be much slower to process food. Um, so uh, the, there's a lot of um, symptoms that are um, pretty distinctive um, and we've learned to recognize them with avian bats. Um, unfortunately, there's no um, test that we can perform on a living bird that would confirm the presence of bromethylene. Um, that is really only possible if they have passed away and we're able to take tissue samples. I'll talk about that a little bit more in an upcoming slide. Um, and then we have the babies. Um, this is an example of a baby that came in after being attacked by a crow. Um, uh, they had grabbed it by the foot, um, and caused injury to their feet. And so they had to have a little, um, Foot wrap for a while to help their feet with, um, getting back into the right shape and a little bit of physio. um, Just to try and get their foot moving again as it should. Um, That was effective and this baby was able to grow his tail back and get his feet working again and was able to perch normally after a number of weeks and some physio and physical therapy. It's normal for us to see um, about one to four babies every year. This year, we actually had nine, which was um, an extremely large number, um, quite an unusual. um, I'm hoping it was just a freak um, of statistics and circumstances and that we're not going to see a continuing rise in trend in that way. Um, We did have a number of babies that came in without their tails um, very close together. So, we're wondering if perhaps a nest fell um, and the babies were then spotted by the public in quick succession, um, or maybe there was a predator attack related to that. Um, we're hoping that some of these may be releasable, but um, it's a little bit early for us to know for sure. But yeah, this was a really um, unfortunate year for the wild parrots and that we had a. Um, much larger intake this year compared to normal figures. Um, so 9 babies and actually 20 birds in total in 2023, um, which is really statistically significant to us. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, when I have some numbers in an upcoming slide. But getting back to bromethylene, um, just to provide a little bit more context around um, the impact that's having on the birds that are affected and exposed. Um, I've got a couple of slides here, just to focus on that. Um, it's so significant for us because well, over half of the birds that we have coming into us from the shelter from the wild flock um, appear consistently to be showing symptoms of bromethylene exposure. So they've ingested rat poison somehow. Um, the bromethylene exposure. It's a neurotoxin, so it creates a pattern of brain damage that can vary depending on how much they ingested and which part of the brain is affected. Um, but it's not really something that they can um, be cured of they can stabilize depending on how much they were exposed to um, and they may be able to. Um, improve their physical ability to perch and move a little bit, but they're never going to be releasable. They would not survive in the wild, even if they survive the poisoning. Um, the The damage from the neurotoxin is just going to leave lasting mobility issues. That would mean they couldn't survive outside again. Of the birds that we take in, the survival rate is approximately 50% amongst the population that show symptoms of bromethalin poisoning. So, um, obviously, there are some birds which um, would never even make it to the shelter. Um, If they ingest too much of it, um, they would be dead on the ground before anyone could see them and pick them up and take them to the shelter. So these numbers aren't absolute. I'm sure there are birds that are just um, succumbing to permethylene poisoning um, in the city, and we don't know how many uh, there could be. Um, but of the birds that we take in every year, um, those that show bromethylene symptoms, about 50% are surviving. Um, this is not something that we can determine immediately. Um, when they come in on top of the exposure to bromethylene, they're usually very dehydrated, you know, they haven't been thriving for a little while. So um they are very they're in very poor condition. Um, after fluids and a period of um Being able to um, feed them again, and really get a better idea of their their internal issues. Um, It can be up to 3 months before we know if they will survive, Um, they will um, usually be able to eat on their own in a lot of cases. But um, depending on the extent of the damage caused by the neurotoxin, um, they may eventually begin having seizures and that usually leads to them passing away. Um, At the three month mark, if they are really not thriving, we'll often see um, a decrease in their capacity to maintain their own weight by eating, and that is one of the big indicators to us that they are declining, at which point um, we'll discuss euthanasia with the avian vet, and they're either humanely euthanized, or sometimes they would pass away from a seizure um, by themselves before that can happen. So there's a 3 month window where we just don't know if they're going to make it in most cases. Um, And for that period, they need to be hospitalized because they're very fragile. They may or may not be able to maintain their own weight at times. They are at risk of seizures and it's not really something we can easily accommodate in foster care. Um, So that means that for every bird, they are at least going to be in the hospital for 3 months and the cost of that. For us is approximately $3,500. So we are at the moment taking on the burden of ensuring that they get that care. Um, The cost of medications and treatments is additional on top of that. That's just the day rate, if you like, of having them in hospital. Um, as the numbers have continued over the years to see the birds with these symptoms, um, we got really to the point where we wanted to invest in a study. To truly identify the cause of the toxin and the issue. There was a lot of speculation years ago that the birds were somehow um, uh, being exposed to roundworm through. You know, I've heard theories about you know ingesting raccoon feces and other ways that they were getting. Um, Roundworm, we do a necropsy on every single wild parrot that passes away in our care and we've never found evidence of roundworm. Um, That would be very clear in necropsy when the avian vet takes a look. Um, We've never seen evidence of that in the brain or anywhere else. So um, that's why we began funding the study to do bromethylene testing. Um, The paper was finally published in 2019. um, But that was after 4 years of. Becoming much more rigorous about um, how we collect the feces when the birds are first taken into the shelter um, and protocol for getting that frozen and um, over to the vet to send away to the labs for um, the research around testing. The issue with the birds is they're so small that tests that have worked to detect bromethalin in larger animals do not really work on the samples so small in these birds. And so they came up with a new um, high performance, liquid chromatography uh, process that was specially devised for dealing with these small samples. Um, And so this paper was the final um, evidence. If you like that, um, we know it's bromethalin that is causing these symptoms and um, poisoning the birds. After the paper came out in March of 2019, we did request a discussion with the city, and we spoke with Dr. Chris Geiger, who confirmed that the city's only using bromethalin in the sewers. Um, We can only guess, but based on what we know, um, we would imagine that the main risk of exposure to bromethalin for the wild parrots is um, individuals just privately using um, rat poison uh, on the top of apartment buildings and such. Um, It's freely purchasable online um, in large containers in pellet form. It's obviously designed to look like food. Um, And we suspect there could be a lot of people who are just scattering these pellets without using bait stations or any other measures. Um, And then also in the city, there are people feeding the parrots on the top of their um, buildings and apartments. And so for the birds, um, some of this is food. Some of it is poison. They're just um landing down and eating what they find. Um, so uh, it's entirely feasible that it could just be through um, private use and uh, the birds discovering it um, in loose form on the tops of buildings as they fly around the city. We would love to see an information campaign just to help the public understand the effect that it has on the wildlife. Um, if it's affecting the parrots, it's almost certainly affecting other birds um, and potentially other wildlife as well. Um, and um, it's a human problem. Um, it's not a natural issue, um, and so we're hoping that we could see a, you know, an effective education campaign to help tackle this um, and see if we can prevent this problem from continuing. Uh, I know in November, uh, Raptors, against, uh, Raptors are the solution, RATS um, as an organization presented, um, they have some great materials and they do great work about educating the public around alternatives. And not using rat poison. Um, there are very effective, more effective alternatives, um, you know, following sterilization techniques um, instead of poisoning. And um, there's some great materials that they're providing around that. So um, that's another avenue that we'd like to see um, shared and advocated for with the public. Um. Just to provide a small sample of a couple of case studies of birds where they have um, had exposure to remethalin, but are still having a quality of life. Um, Whilst some of the birds need um, hospitalization for longer periods of time, we have many that have successfully thrived in foster homes and been adopted. Um, We do our best to pair them up because we feel strongly that as flock animals, they should have 1 of their own kind. Um, they are, of course, individuals and they need to pick their friend. So we have to play a bit of a matchmaking game to find out who wants to get along with who. But once they have a friend, um, we will tr- do our best to place them in experienced foster homes and um, and even find them potentially a, an adopter. Um, Beal and Clay are more wobbly. Um, they do need to be on towels because they are prone to falling. Um, but they are still enjoying a great quality of life. Um, They are able to express agency around the kind of toys they like to play with, the kind of treats that they enjoy, um, the kind of food that they like to eat, um, and how they, when and how they like to take their baths. Um, And (laughs) even though they're a little bit wobbly, they still um, enjoy coming out of their cage and being active. Uh, Sansom and Dewey are a pair that were successfully adopted. Um they are able to fly a little bit, so um, they have been well, socialized by their doctor and they also enjoy um, a great quality of life and remain really active, even though they probably wouldn't keep up with the wealth look outside. I'm going to skip over the videos in the interest of time. Um, some numbers, uh, just put in a few numbers. This is total, um, since Mikibu began taking in the wild parrots over a 20 year period. Um, in our database, the first documented wild parrot is 2003. Um, I know that there were a small number before that, um, that Mikibu at that time would have helped with, um, but these numbers go back, um, to 2003. We've had a total of 236 intakes over that time. Um, We have 82 that have passed away in our care. So um, I would would say that the vast majority of those were bromethylene poisoning cases, the ones that did not survive on the side of the 50-50 odds. Um, We've had 64 that have been successfully adopted. Uh, We have 26 that are currently still in our foster care and we have 21 in the hospital Um, And that includes um, a significant number of the babies from this year. Um, We also have 37 that have been released back to the wild flock. Um, It's not something that we're able to do very often because most of these birds just do not regain 100% mobility. Um, But as and when we do get a couple that um, are able to um, get back to 100% health, um, we don't want them to live a life of captivity if they don't have to. Um, so if we are able to return them back to the flock, then we will do that. Um, we do have a protocol around it. They spend time acclimating in an outdoor aviary, and we do a full um, suite of tests um, to ensure that we're not re, um, not introducing any new diseases to the flock. It's really important to us that that would never happen. Um, so we screen for a lot of common viral and other infectious diseases before um, any bird would be released back to the flock. Last year was a record year in all the ways that we don't like to see. <laughs> we had 20 wild parrots come in, which um, is significantly higher than the 10 to 15 we usually expect to see. Um, a part of that, I think, was a bad fledging season where we had 9 babies coming in, which is about double what we would expect. Um, and we had relatively more physical trauma injuries. Um, we don't know the reason for that and But given that it's just one bad year, um, it's too early to say that there's a trend here or a problem, but we are aware that a lot of trees came down in the storms um, last year. And the trees around the roosting Park, Superman Park where the parrots roost, um, do provide um, shelter for the parrots during hog attacks. Um, And it's possible that having Fewer trees near their roost is impacting them in that way, where they don't have other trees to take refuge in or use for evasive maneuvers. Um, but that's a little bit speculative, and um, we don't really know if that's going to be a trend that we see continue. Um, so we're going to have to watch the space and see what happens. So um, as we head into 2024, um, we are Really starting to feel the strain (laughs) with 21 birds in the hospital um, and trying to find specialized foster homes that are prepared and trained to care for them outside of hospital. Um, Some of the birds can be placed in experienced foster homes, but um, some of them still have ongoing medical issues and it is a difficult. um, Thing to navigate um, and it's an expensive thing to navigate Um, proportionally. Most years, the number of birds that we're taking in overall, in terms of all of the birds surrendered to us um, across all species of parrot, including the wild flock, the wild flock are really only at most going to be 5 to 10% of that population. But from a cost perspective, they are more like 25% um, or more um, in any given month of our overall costs. So they are an expensive species to be caring for for us. Um, we are getting to the point where um, we're struggling to keep up with the current trends. If we have another year, like last year with 20 new intakes, um, things are going to get very challenging for us. Um, so financially, we do want to be smart about this and try and establish partnerships with other groups that take in wildlife. We know that wild care and Peninsula Humane Society have cared for wild parrots uh, in one off circumstances from the Sunnyvale flock and um, And from other scenarios in the past, Um, and. I think creating a wider network that extends our capacity, um, especially for the official animal of the city, we want to make sure they have um, a proper safety net that can handle the burden. So, um, rather than attempting to shoulder it alone, stoically, I think we need to build out um, partnerships and programs with. Other groups that can help ensure we'll always have the capacity, no matter what is happening. Um, We also have the opportunity to do a genetic study with UCSF. One of our volunteers actually runs a genetics lab there, and um, we've begun exploring um, what will be possible there um, to better understand the genetics of the flock, which could help us with understanding um, their health issues. How they're um, being exposed to permethalin, um, perhaps with more accuracy. Um, and over time, um, understand how genetics are, um, how the flock is evolving, um, and its relationship to the other flocks in the vicinity. So that's exciting. Um, we're excited about um, seeing where that goes. But it's very early days right now. Um, there's really nothing to share at this stage beyond our, uh, excitement for it. So, I'm wrapping up with the material here, um, if anyone's interested in helping, we certainly would gladly accept more help and support. First and foremost, if you live in the city and you're um, enjoying seeing the flock there, um, uh, our 1st request would be that you let the wild parrots be wild. Um, if they're flying to your window, if you have a bird feeder or your balcony. Um, by all means, if you're feeding the wildlife, they will take advantage of that, but please don't approach them, feed them or t- attempt to tame them in any way and socialize them with your hands. Um, you know, as Mark Bittner said, when he left Telegraph Hill, the biggest danger to this wild flock is people. <laughs> so, um, if we can keep them away from windows and people and keep them outside where they belong, that is going to keep them the happiest and healthiest. Um, if you are interested in helping with our foster population, we would love to, um. Expand our network of experienced foster homes that can um, look after these wonderful, charming animals. Uh, we have a free bird care class for anyone that does have birds and is just generally looking to understand how to better provide them with enrichment and good husbandry. Um, certainly don't use rat poison because that is deeply affecting um, the sick and injured birds that we're having to care for. Um, we're always happy to see more volunteers um, joining the group um and uh, you know, outside of the work we do with the wild flock, um, we'd love to see um, strategies to reduce uh, how many birds are being sold in pet stores. Um, we see, we've see we seen a huge number of budgies coming in after the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, a lot of people bought budgies and now that people are moving around again, they're surrendering them and a lot of them have allowed them to multiply and budgies have definitely been the big victim of COVID-19 from our perspective. So. We would love to see people adopting instead of um, sponsoring the the captive pet bird industry which we're not not a big fan of um, many of you might have heard that the um the 4k remaster of the wild parts of telegraph hill is um coming out and is actually playing at the roxy this coming week starting tomorrow Um, We will have a mikaboo trailer which does talk about rat poison and as just a little infomercial um, before the movie begins and we're very grateful that that's been possible. Um, So we're trying to do our best for public education on that front Um, and the film looks fantastic. Personally, I was involved in the restoration and the remastering. So this is a bit of a passion project for me and um, I'm very excited to see it come to fruition. Um, And we have more resources here. This um, deck, I think, is going to be available after the meeting. And so we have some links in here to other resources. If these topics have been of interest to you, Um, and uh, we've included some other organizations, which are also doing wild parrot rescue and rehab um, down in Southern California, where they have many more species of wild parrot. Um, So, I think that's me over time and I will um, wrap it up there so that we can move to uh, any questions
0: great thank you for your presentation um adding to it i did want to mention that yes uh to anyone who's listening to the meeting or attending the meeting uh that the presentation will be on the website either later tonight or definitely by tomorrow morning and by tomorrow afternoon we'll have a video of the meeting including um sarah's wonderful presentation so that'll be available to view again and you can also download it as well if you want to share it or if you want to Whatever you want to do with the video, it will be available tomorrow afternoon. Uh, Thanks, Sarah, uh, for the, uh, for the presentation. Um, I was wondering before we open it up to questions from the other commissioners and also to public comment. um, Can you um, talk a little bit more about tomorrow's event at the Roxy?
7: Yeah, of course. Um, So, tomorrow and Saturday, um, Mark and Judy Irving will be at the screenings and um, there will be a Q and a after the movie so um, they'll be there beforehand talking to people as everyone's arriving uh, we'll be there too we're going to bring a couple of wild parrots with us we don't want to overwhelm them <laughs> overwhelm the people so but we will bring a couple um, and uh, we'll have a presence there we'll be taking part in the q a um, so yeah friday and saturday mark and judy will be there and make will be there too um, and the screenings are running daily through january 18th
0: Okay, great. Looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Let's open it up to um, questions or comments from the commissioners. Is there anyone who would like to Okay, commissioner? Ozenoy, please?
8: 1st of all, thank you for an amazing presentation. Um, I just have a quick question whether um, for the birds that are released if you ban them so that you can track them in any way or have any kind of data as to. Um, yeah, if they end up back with you again, or, any, or anything like that.
7: That's a great question. Um, We don't ban them. Um, I think bands would be problematic. Um, They could pose a um, safety risk to the birds in terms of getting them caught on things as they're flying around. Um, So we wouldn't put a band on them. Um, But what we have been thinking about um, is microchipping the birds. Um, Microchips have advanced over the years and they are now super, super small, um, small enough to be the size of a grain of rice or smaller, which means that for whereas the size of Conyers, um, they are absolutely candidates for microchipping now, which, you know, may, wasn't the case um, going back uh, some years. Um, and the chips are becoming very affordable. Um, so I think we're at the point where we are considering chipping um, birds before release because the costs are becoming manageable relative to the other costs around their care. And it would help us understand, especially for the babies, um, because their physical presentation changes a lot over time um, would allow us to identify birds that are coming back in for a 2nd round. um, If they something happens to them Um, to the best of our knowledge, we've only had 1 repeat customer. Um, We had a bird that um, came in sick. Um, I don't have the years, but, um. They, uh, they, they were released on 2 years after. We released them, they came back in sick again, and at that point we treated them. They're now in foster care and we're not planning to re-release that bird because it feels too likely that they would probably not thrive once again. Um, So um, it was simple infection, nothing contagious to the other birds, um, but that bird just wasn't thriving. So um, there's only one bird we know of that has been a repeat customer to date, but microchips would allow us to be a bit more definitive about that.
8: And um... Thank you so much. And then generally speaking, babies, um, are they usually releasable? Uh, if there's nothing dramatically wrong beyond you know, trauma or whatever, does the flock accept them?
7: Yeah, yes and yes. Um, by um, most years, we see up to 4 babies and about half of them are releasable. So that makes up most of the population that we are able to release. Um, and so, uh, yeah, they're accepted back by the flock. Um, they're recognized. Um, we would not release the bird unless we had a very significant number of the population around, um we used to use um private residences where there were fire escapes and such where we knew the birds were frequenting but um more recently we've been doing that at the roost because it's really just the safest for the birds it's a bit less comfortable for us because it's a more public place (laughs) we're not trying to attract attention um but uh it's the best for the birds so more recently we've been releasing them at the roost where everybody is there and they have a little bit of a chance to reintroduce themselves before the flock
2: takes off
5: awesome thank you
9: any other questions yes commissioner van hon please just out of curiosity have uh, have you compared the uh, sizes of these animals and body condition scores to the ones in peru and ecuador um and whether or not there's any variation on environment and diet that's uh, different
7: that's a fascinating question um no we have not um but that's certainly something that would be fascinating to to learn more about um, honestly most of the resources we have been able to muster have been focused on um and how to deal with um just handling the current load that's coming our way um but um through our connections with the wider rescue alliance um i mean a couple of those members uh are operating in Central America doing conservation efforts um, and there's a lot of interest in um, better understanding um, the native population. So it could be possible for us to get some data about that through them. Um, That's not something that we've been actively pursuing at this time. I think widening our support network to make sure we continue to be a safety net for the sick and injured members of the flock is kind of our priority, but. I like that question. I'm going to make a note about it.
9: One other one um, given the the foraging behavior of this species, are there any specific bromethylene products that might be um, more problematic in terms of their attraction to it?
2: um.
7: I think I caveat my answer with the fact that a lot of this is just personal speculation, but um, we find that the wild parrots adapt very well to the aspect of their diet. We offer in pellet form. Um, They're very intelligent and adaptable and um, obviously they get um, daily fresh food as part of their diet in our care. But we do include pellets to make sure that they get the full nutritional component that they need. Um, and they're pretty good about adapting to that. Um, a lot of the, bromethalin, um. Poisons are sold in pellet form, um, they vary in color and shapes and sizes. Um, but the birds are naturally curious. They're foragers by nature. And I would imagine that that pellet form would be something that they
2: would readily explore.
9: Thank you.
0: Thank you. Uh, Any other questions commissioner Reed?
3: Well, I just wanted to say, I know that the Friends of Animal, SF Animal Care and Control gives a donation to Mikaboo every year. And I was going to wonder if the commission would look into possibly having the uh, San Francisco Park Alliance possibly make a donation to Mikaboo. Since these birds do thrive in our parks, I mean, I'm assuming they take care of the bison. Somehow, either the park and rec or through the nonprofit. I was wondering if we could send out a letter from this commission asking them to consider starting to make a donation to Micamu to help support the medical care of these birds.
0: Yeah, I'm not too sure about that particular alliance. I don't know if Commissioner Tobin knows anything about them or
9: the
8: zoo takes care of the bison.
9: Uh, yeah. The SF zoo
1: takes care of the business yeah, Zoo so. does, but, um, parks alliance was a. Fundraising arm for a wreck and park, um. <clears throat> so a lot of programs that they, uh, person could donate directly to SF. Um, parks alliance for the tax deduction. And, um, and. earmark it for a particular fund, so it's not a bad idea to have. A fund available earmarked for the, um. The parrots. I'm not sure. I mean, I was thinking about that as well, too. If you have this bird as a. Uh, what is it? The city bird you you mentioned Sarah that they are the city's official bird official where it's animal Official animal, oh, animal, animal right? Mm-hmm. If there's any, any kind of. Funding, like, I wonder what the state. Quail gets (laughs) and so on and so forth. I, I don't really know, um, how that is supported or how, uh, that those conservation efforts for that particular. Um, significant animal for the city. I, I really don't know, but it's worth exploring. I can find out more by asking reckon park. Um. uh, Anybody else have ideas of who else might be. Supporting yeah.
0: I was gonna say, I'm not sure, but thanks for that insight. And also for your suggestion too, because, yeah, that does. How how does this work into the whole, uh. You know, the whole official animal thing as far as, I mean, I'm assuming there must be some resources or something else that's devoted towards. You know, but yeah, so maybe something we can look into. Right. But Thanks. for. And also
1: just Michael, thanks for bringing that up. But friends of animal care and control, you can also do the same thing that you would do with parks alliance. Uh, which is designate that the grant that you're giving the friends of animal care and control the donation is intended for Micaboo. and, um, so. And, and go so far as to say the parrots, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, in general, Micaboo is a fully volunteer run organization. It's going to the immediate need of the animals.
7: Yeah, over 95% of our funds are spent on veterinary care. Um, We, we have our, our founder um, is a registered vet tech and um, medical care for birds that we take in is really a big focus for us. Um, A lot of them haven't received it to date um, or are being surrendered because of medical issues. Um, So, yeah, it's something that we're, um, we have a lot of resources and knowledge around and, uh, you know, I think it's why we stepped in to care for the wild parrots.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: Um and on that note, I have a question which um I did I didn't get the chance to include in my slides, but it occurred to me as we talked about parks and rec. Um we have uh, on occasion um met staff in the parks um when we've been there just observing the birds and um I know they do find deceased birds in the parks and uh, just in the course of maintaining the parks. Um we've never discussed it to date, but um we might be interested in being able to recover. Any deceased uh, individuals that they find for necropsy testing and the genetic study, Um, if we could, it's a little bit morbid to talk about, but it could help us in terms of gathering information and understanding the health of the wild flock. So, if it's possible to receive those, um, that might be something that could be very informative for us in terms of the overall flux health and care.
0: Okay, Uh I can reach out to um, to our representative. On the commission from from that department and see. Now, when you mentioned about um, uh, the deceased, are you are you talking specifically about parrots or?
7: Yeah, deceased parrots. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I mean, me... um, obviously, and I don't know what the numbers are there, but even just knowing what those numbers are would be informative. You know, how many are, um, you know, are. Passing away in the parks, and uh, you know what the causes of that are versus being caught by predators or other scenarios.
0: Yeah, and I remember we kind of talked about that the, a couple of days ago when we met. So thanks. Yeah, let me mm-hmm. let me look into it. I don't mind looking into it. Thank you. Any Other questions, uh, Commissioner I- Van Horn? Okay.
3: I was just gonna say, I don't. I know, like from volunteering at the shelter, like Caltrans brings in deceased animals. But I've actually never heard of SF Park and Rec bringing in deceased animals, so it'd be interesting to see what they, because I mean, they obviously get raccoons and other animals also. But it'd be interesting to know what they actually do with uh. deceased animals.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Commissioner Van Horn
9: you had implied in the the presentation that one of the challenges these birds have are um, secure nesting areas um, and finding places where they wouldn't be predated on by by the hawks and such Um, i know in california and throughout the west we've done the barn owl barn owl um, projects where we actually figured out exactly what type of roosting um nesting Facilities they need, and we, we provide that so that they can be sort of a natural pest control. I know with the cherry heads that nobody really wants to publicize where they're where they're nesting to keep the public from messing with them and that sort of thing. But has thought ever been given to providing some sort of artificial safe, uh, safe place for them. Um,
7: no, um. I don't feel that that's a pressing issue Um, as cavity nesters. I think there are plenty of trees in the city where they're finding acceptable nesting places. Um, I've also seen anecdotal stories about them um, finding other cavities um, that they're able to nest in. So, I I think I don't think they're running out of safe places to nest. I mean, it's common for young fledglings leaving the nest to be easy prey for um, larger birds and predators that happen to come across them when they're still fledging and they're higher risk. Um, So, I don't think that's a serious um, threat to the population.
2: Um, They're pretty adaptable and I don't think they're running out of of nesting spots. I think. Yeah, to
7: to clarify earlier comment about the trees in the park, I think that's more cover for them under Hulk attack um, to give them places to to take cover um, or to escape to um, if a Hulk is attacking the flock. So, they have a reduced number of options um, in terms of trees in the park since a lot of
2: the trees came down at the Embarcadero. Any
0: other questions or comments from commissioners? Yes, here's okay. Um, seeing none. We can open up for public comment. Is there anyone who would like to make a comment? Please approach the podium at this time.
5: Um, hi, Nadine may Sarah. Thank you very much for your presentation. Um, there are a couple of things. I'm wondering about does this do you have you tracked what areas of the city the birds are coming in with having being affected by rat poison and i specifically asked that because i have feral had colonies in chinatown rats are a big problem in chinatown and my microphone just fell apart oh no um and Chinatown is a very sort of isolated community where very often the word does not necessarily get out to the community about things that other parts of the city might know. And I'm wondering whether there could be a specific, like um, targeted campaign if the birds are coming from specific areas of the city to to get the information out To those areas of the city about about rat poison. Because it's super important. Yeah,
7: thank you. That's a great question. Um, we do get information about where the birds are found. Um, the shelter give us papers discharge papers, um, like they would any animal and, um. That includes cross streets on where they were located or reported by the public. Um, and we save that information, um, we haven't noticed anything that appears significant in terms of hot spots that are, you know, certain parts of the city. Um, I would say that, um, the effect of the poison is not instant. So, um, you know, they're going to go foraging every single day and move around the city, you know, covering. A number of miles um, just as part of their daily activities foraging morning and afternoon. So. um, It's we see patterns where it's areas closer to the park where they roost, Um, but they've been in the mission. They've been um, out at Fort Mason. They've been, I mean, they they cover the whole city, depending on what's in season and um, time of year and, um, you know, different, um, different routes that they. Uh, you know, explore and determine a preference for, which is all really foraging related. So, um, you know, that I think the use of the pellets is going to potentially be more sporadic and less predictable and they would just encounter them as they are on their usual foraging routes. So. Um, we don't have any clues as to certain parts of the city where this could be at a greater likelihood of happening. Um, there's nothing that that gives us, um. A sense that there are certain communities or parts of the city that we target with that message.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, any other comments.
2: Okay,
4: okay. Thank you, Sarah, for a very interesting presentation. Very worthwhile. Um, Excuse me. I was wondering. Um, I, I think this is all the more reason to try to get. I, I know it's a long shot, but and we've tried this before. But to get pet stores to stop selling live animals, because I know there's one store. I think it was called Animal Connection. Um, I think it's over in the Sunset, or it was on Judas Street. I don't know if it's still there. They so- sold all kinds of parrots. Um, of course, they want to sell parrots because they can command a high price and uh, i know one person bought a parrot because his friend had got a parrot and he was giving the parrot like bird seed and the parrot anyway i helped him find a new home he literally gave away the bird and the cage which is probably 700 several hundred dollars worth of bird and cage he was so desperate to get rid of the bird because he saw that you know it was very high maintenance and made a lot of noise and so um you know just trying to get people like you said to adopt rather than to buy um i think we should revisit that issue of you know trying to get pet stores to stop selling live animals period especially birds
7: yeah i would um i would be very happy for us to potentially prepare a separate presentation and session on that topic because i know even outside of mikaboo there are other Smaller rescues operating in the area who um, feel very strongly about this. Also, um, it is definitely a factor in how many birds end up needing to be rehomed through just you know, impulse buys, lack of awareness, lack of information provided at the point of sale. Lack of good husbandry information, poor care leads to health problems, leads to surrender. It's a really vicious cycle um and you know realistic expectations are very important with these animals they're very different than other kinds of animals people keep at home so um i would love to pursue those efforts um and we definitely have an appetite for that so i think that's that's worthy of a agenda item
0: agreed thank you so much for your comments and for your um presentation sarah uh before we move on to the next um, item are there any other comments or questions from commissioners Okay, Uh, seeing none. uh, Thanks again, Sarah, for everything. Uh, And we look forward to uh, seeing you tomorrow (laughs) at the (laughs) rock.
7: Thank you. We'll see you there. Looking forward to it. Thanks for your time.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, Before we move on to the next business item, I did want to mention, I forgot to mention, uh, or to acknowledge that we did have some some written public comments. Um, those public comments can be found under communications received on our website, uh, for this, uh, for the agenda page for this meeting. Um, 1 of the comments, uh, the person did comment in person, but there was also another comment from a Maggie, uh, commenting about, um. About raticides and the, uh. The effect they have on birds, um. And also um, concerning the commission name change. Uh, so anyways, again, those comments are located on our website. Okay, so moving on to the next item under new business. Sulala animal rescue, the commission will discuss the challenges faced by. Sulala animal rescue in the Gaza Strip, and will vote on a letter of support. Um, drafts of the letter of support were are on. I'm sorry, excuse me, the drafts of the letters of support um, are on the meetings. On uh, this evening's meeting agenda page of our website, and copies of the letters were distributed to commissioners earlier this week. There are also a few copies available at the table for meeting attendees. Uh, before we discuss the letters and vote on them, I did want to give a brief um, discussion about the rescue. Um, but before I do that, I want to acknowledge and thank our previous commission chair, Nina Irani, for bringing this to our attention and for all her help and her hard work around this matter. Um, I did have a bit of a presentation as well with some um, Instagram videos and also screenshots, but unfortunately, I'm I'm not able to to show it. Um, So I will just talk about instead Uh, for whatever reason. I'm not able to sync up my laptop. With um, the technology here, so I apologize for that. I'll look into why that happens. But for right now, I just like to give a a brief talk about uh, the animal rescue and what we're here, what we're going to vote on tonight. Okay, so for those who may not know, Sulala Animal Rescue is an animal rights organization in Seltcher located in the Gaza Strip. From what I understand, it is the only animal rights organization in that region. Uh, I try to keep up on a number of animal related organizations throughout the world, and Sulala is one of those organizations that has always touched me. Uh, The rescue was started by an animal lover named Sahid Al Ar, after he saw a Facebook posting from a local municipal area in Gaza that was offering people three dollars for each dog that they were able to kill in the area. Upset, Sahid wrote a response to the posting and as a result he received a lot of messages from others who also wanted to help. Sahid then went on went to the department that had created the posting and explained why it was wrong. The officials there ended up removing the posting. Sahid soon took out a loan and rented a place to help house the stray animals in the region. He would visit different places such as restaurants and wedding halls to ask for food donations. After his money ran out, he sold his car to have funds to continue his work and tried to find additional land for the ever-increasing number of animals that relied on his help. At just the point he thought he might need to shut down, he was approached by authorities to open up a shelter in Gaza City. And soon after, a second shelter opened up just north of Gaza. At one point, there were more than 350 dogs, about 70 cats and one donkey that were under his care. Many of the animals are injured and have medical needs, including a number who are paralyzed and get around using equipment that Sahid created using parts from old children's bicycles and toys. In addition to helping animals, the organization has also raised awareness about animals and their needs and educated the community on how to treat animals with kindness. As we all know, running a shelter and helping animals is incredibly challenging, but it is especially in times of war. Keeping the animals and themselves safe from the constant bombardment and trying to keep food on hand is nearly impossible to help. Sulu animal rescue has put out a call asking for help and support from other animal organizations throughout the world. They're asking for 3 things. I'm going to read the 3 things as they have written them. The number 1 thing is entry of food for all animals. We appeal to the Israeli government to allow multiple trucks of animal food through the Kareem Salam crossing. Gaza is in desperate need of food and medication for the millions of cats, dogs, donkeys, horses, and birds that live here. Sulala, Sululu, excuse me, in coordination with donor organization, Animals Australia and Israeli animal rights organizations can arrange for trucks filled with animal food to go to the checkpoint. Sulala needs a guarantee that it can enter. Uh, the number two item was designation of a safe area for animals. We ask for the Israeli Army's cooperation in designating a safe area within the Gaza Strip where Sulala can take animals, ensuring their safety and well-being among the crisis. And number three is permit for rescue organization operations in the north. We seek to permit for Sulala to access the north of Gaza to rescue starving and wounded animals. Uh, Sulala Animal Rescue asks for our support in communicating these urgent requests to the relevant authorities who can help. Now, concerning the letters of report, based on recommendations from Sulala Animal Rescue as to who to contact in support of their request, I decided to create letters to Israeli Ambassador Michael Herzog, our Senators Lafonza Butler and Alex Padilla, and our Congressional Representative Nancy Pelosi. On our website, in addition to copies of these letters, you will also find a document created by Sulala Animal Rescue, which provides templates and guidance on who to contact regarding their requests. I would invite individuals on the Commission, as well as those who are attending this meeting, to also reach out concerning this matter if they are so inclined. In addition to the Commission sending these four le- individual letters out, I will also forward them to members of our Board of Supervisors, as well as the Mayor's Office and the City Administrator's Office for their information and awareness. Before we vote, I want to add that what is happening right now in that part of the world is horrific.
2: It's beyond heartbreaking, and I know that many of us individuals
0: are trying to do all we can to help. Providing this support and raising awareness about this this matter is a small act on the part of the Commission, but could really help the animals and people of Sulala Animal Rescue. Offering our support is something compassionate that our Commission can do, and I feel we should do, and I look forward to your comments and your support. Are there any comments from the commissioners or anyone before we open up for public comments? Yes, commissioner tonight
8: Michael, First of all, I applaud your, um, your compassion and your commitment to animal welfare and I'm very grateful that Nina, um, former commissioner, Cherry Ronnie brought this, um, to your attention. However, I want to say that this is not within our jurisdiction um, as commissioners. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not saying I'm not going to vote for it, but it's just so out of scope for what we are supposed to the charter to do that I'm concerned that we are not doing the things in this city that actually do require our attention. And I mean, it's not like one doesn't necessarily, you know, counter the other, but I'm just questioning why this and not many of the local issues um, would be something that we vote on as a commission.
0: Fair question Um, as far as I feel, you know, this is a request that is put out to animal organizations and we are an animal organization. Um, I think that we can also address um, local issues as well as national and international ones. Um, I do want to point out that this isn't something that we're doing, um. That we are doing while ignoring um, nearby issues or local issues. This is something I think that we can do in addition to it. Um, and from what I understand in the past, the commission has, um, offered letters of support and also uh, made recommendations as well for, for, um. For things outside of our, of our local area, I'm thinking in particular, most recently, um, when we had the activists um, come in, who were, um. Who were, uh, I believe under indictment in Sonoma County for um, animal rescue organizations there. Um we did actually um, offer up a letter of support for that. And actually, I think um Commissioner Um Um chair at the time, Nina Irani, um even um went so far as to um work with the Board of Supervisors to have a resolution passed in support of those activists. So so there is some precedent, but I appreciate your your feedback and I, I also want to do explain a little bit of history and my thoughts behind it. Okay. Um any other questions or comments? Okay, seeing none, we can open up for public comment. Is there anyone who would like to make a comment? If so, please approach the podium
4: <coughs> I totally disagree. I think that this is a really impressive letter. I really thank you for doing this. And like you said, we're animals. We're an animal commission. We're an animal rights commission. This letter is really impressive. And there's no reason why we shouldn't help other animals. I mean, that the United States helps everywhere all over the world when there's any crisis going on. And it's it's pretty sad that this is going on in the place of Jesus' birthplace where, you know, especially during Christmas. So um, I thank you for doing this. And I I would like to see your pictures down the line um, if you were able to get the technology figured out. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Any other comments?
2: I agree
5: with that. I thank you for doing this letter. I think it's so important. Um, The people who love animals are also starving in Gaza. And if they knew that their animals were getting help, I'm sure it would raise their spirits and help them a little bit. So I think it's totally appropriate that the Animal Commission send this letter. I don't know how much good it'll do, um, but I'm hopeful it will do some good. And I want to thank the commission and Michael. And I want to just thank the person who started Sulala, because I'm sure it was incredibly difficult. And he did it, and he's kept on doing it, despite everything that's going on. So thank you.
2: Okay, thank you so much. Um,
0: okay, um, so we are going to vote now for all four letters. Well, um, first of all, is there any other, just to make sure, are there any other questions or comments from the commissioners? Okay, seeing none, we are going to vote for all four letters that were drafted in support of Sulala Animal Rescue. Again, the letters are addressed to Israeli Ambassador Herzog. Senator Butler, Senator Padilla, and Congresswoman Pelosi. So when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of sending the letters as a commission out to those four individuals. Or say no if you're not in favor. Uh Commissioner Fergandes,
8: Yes.
2: Uh
0: Commissioner Arizona.
2: Abstain. Commissioner Reed? Yes. Commissioner Tobin? Yes, with reservation,
0: it needs to. So you're saying yes.
1: I maybe might need to abstain as well too. I'm not, um, I'm not against the idea. But I do think I'm. I'm not certain some of the proposals that you've made. Or some of the suggestions might be even. Particularly possible, or not put more risk on the animals and the people in the community. So, I'm a little concerned. Okay. I'd like to know a little bit more.
2: Okay, Commissioner Van Horn.
9: I'm going to abstain for now, but I'm. Willing to consider after questions are are, uh,
2: Addressed.
0: Okay, so what we would have is I would vote yes, so we have 3, yes, votes and 3 abstains. We don't have enough to pass this. Is there any kind of discussion that we can have tonight that would. That would cause, uh, commission uh, I'm asking commissioner. Ozenoy commissioner Tobin and commissioner Van Horn that would cause it would allow you to to decide otherwise.
2: Um. There are a couple of recommendations that were suggested in your letter.
1: 1 of which is providing a safe area for the animals to go. Um, I'm concerned because I don't know if that poses a risk. If our our recommendations are misguided in some way, because we don't have all the information or facts. To know what might happen in a safe area, for example, a hospital. Where it's considered a safe zone, and yet it became. A place of I, this 1st I, off, I, I. I feel like I have to step back and just say 1 thing. It's horrifying what's going on and I don't want to be ta- this to be taken out of me. Not advocating for the animals. I'm 100% behind it, but I'm also no recognize. That 1st, and foremost, this is a human tragedy on a scale. We can't even comprehend in our safe place here. And I have reservations only because I don't, I don't know if the recommendations we're making. Are safe for the people and the animals that are there.
0: Okay, just to clarify, these recommendations aren't things that I came up with. These are recommendations that are being requested by Sulula animal rescue. So, we're basically just offering support. We're saying, this is what they feel they need to help the animals and to help themselves. They're asking for support to say, please also to join us in saying, this is what we need. Empower us, support us to, to ask for this as well. Ask for your, for your officials, ask for those who you think can help us to try and, um, Obtain these things that we feel we need. So I do want to point out and I apologize if I didn't make it clear that this isn't um, something that I came up as recommendations, or it's not anything that again, you know, understanding the safety of where I'm at right now, Mm -hmm. or we're all at, um, you know, trying to trying to dictate or trying to make recommendations for a situation that we probably can't even imagine. Being in right now, Um, we're actually hearing from those who are there experiencing it and they're saying we need your help Uh, we need we need the assistance of uh of the international community those who also want to help animals to help us achieve what we think we need to live or to help the animals to live to exist and to continue to do the work that we want to that we need to do we feel we need to do a lot of you know a lot of the animals that they are taking on right now are ones that have been abandoned Mm -hmm. in some cases they are also animals that um you know that their their companions or human companions are no longer able to care for them either because they're injured beyond well basically they're just not able to care for them and and the the brave people of this rescue haven't neglected these animals. They've stayed there. They haven't escaped because they have these animals that they well, basically just like, I think any of us would be in a situation like that, where we can't, we would not just abandon those who depend upon us. Um, this is again, this is, you know, and the recommendations I'm making or that I'm putting forward again. When I was reading them and again, I apologize if I did not make myself clear um, these are recommendations that they themselves are making asking for assistance and I read them so when I say we I'm not speaking for for the commission or for myself I'm speaking for we meaning this is the wording that they've used to to make that request. This is what they need. This is their words. So I do want to again, you know, I do want to I would do want to explain that it's not like I'm stepping in or any one of us is stepping in trying to dictate what needs to be done to to bring. Safety to these animals, we're relying on what the people there who are experiencing this, what they are asking. For the international community to help them to try and to try and obtain these things that they feel they need to to go forward. Um, in some of the videos I was going to show. Um, Sahid, who who is the founder again of, of this rescue he had at the beginning of January, just a couple of bags of food for all the animals that they have. Um, since then, you know, he, he now has they've gone into. Fish food, food meant for fish that they're trying to feed the animals for them to exist. You know, meanwhile, there are truckloads of just like of humanitarian supplies that are being held up at the border at the checkpoint. I should say, um, and those include, um, animal food as well. As well as medications and obviously, you know, we all know the situation that's happening. Um, he's just asking for help. For those to be. Taken into consideration he's asking for, you know, please, you know, there's talk about humanitarian um, needs. There's talk about, you know, letting in those trucks to help people in need. Let's also. Keep in mind that there are animals in need too, and there are those who are helping the animals and that's what he's putting forward. And that's what he's asking for.
9: And to clarify what we're talking about is just just. Putting out a letter that says our commission does support the efforts of the organization. At this point,
0: that's what we were. Yeah, that's that was the intention of the letter. We're basically just bringing it to the attention. This is what we were asked to do as an animal organization. We're asked to to spread awareness about about this need and to try and get it into those who can possibly help to make it happen. Um, You know, it's not we're not taking a stand on anything. I purposely went through some of those templates, and if you look at the template versus what I put down there, I took out some things uh, just to make it, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit more of what what you know is just keeping it to exactly what was being asked, as opposed to any any type of of uh, viewpoint or judgment. Okay. okay, I really tried to do that because, again, you know, it's, I see it as just helping someone who needs help. Um, just as I would hope that someone would help us if there was a disaster or something that happened here.
1: Naturally, so, Michael, I was. Confused by that when you said, we want this, we want we, I really did actually think you were talking about us advocating for a safe place for animals and north of Gaza somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, I have no. I have no say in that and, uh, and I agree. I. um, but if you can change the language to reflect. And then, in addition, say, we, the commission. Support the efforts of an organization that is trying to serve the animals. Of affected by this horrific. War and any way that, um, you know, essentially, like, we support their efforts, not not necessarily. You know, or their advocacy efforts for caring for their animals. And I think
0: a lot of that is in the letter. Um, the 1 thing I will say is that maybe it is confusing and I definitely don't mind changing it. Like, for example, I did. Take their exact wording, so it's with wees. Mm-hmm. and things. maybe I just, I can go ahead and change that to reflect them. It, so, in yeah. other words, so, so there is no confusion at all. Um, I can very easily do that. Okay, so it was know, just
1: me hearing it the way you said it. I'm and like, I, understand. I
0: it could be confusing and, you know, as I said, you know, it's a very emotional thing. You know i think a lot of us as we listen to this we're basically picturing what what's going on right now we're you know we're kind of so it is it's very hard to you know to to how would you say well when i'm reading it, it i'm thinking of a lot of different things and a lot of different things are going through my mind and i'm probably not being as clear as i would like to be or as particular no big news there <laughs> at times but i mean um but yeah, I can see where that could be misunderstood, but again, I do want to clarify for everybody that, you know, that was just the wording that they have from their template and they're making the request, but I can definitely. Uh, modify it or review it, revise it to such a way that it that it's firm that. You know, these are requests of theirs and that, you know, we, as a commission, aren't making these requests. We're basically. Um, relaying we're, we're basically making the request, the request for, for the rescue to be heard. And this is what they're requesting. Okay,
8: and as far as financial assistance, which seems like it might be more impactful than a strongly worded letter. What are some options? Um, Dean, or is there something on their website or are they just not allowing any kind of, um. Financial, uh, of financial
0: health. Good question. I have donated to them in the past. I haven't donated recently. I know that they are still asking for financial assistance. Um, but I'm not too sure exactly. If it's available on their website, there used to be like, you know, you could do it by PayPal, but to be honest, I'm also not too sure exactly what. Financial assistance would bring to them right now. Right? Um, but I think that there is still the possibility of donating to them.
9: With those changes and stipulations and assuming it doesn't take away from our um, time and resources to address local issues, I would change my vote to yes.
0: Okay, why don't we take another vote again with the understanding that what I will do is I will go ahead and make these changes as we discussed. It's a real easy way to clarify to re clarify exactly what it was saying, and I probably should have been a little bit more attentive to that. So I apologize for not being a little bit more clear about because reading it now, after hearing what you had to say, I can see where that could be misinterpreted. And I definitely do not want to be a commission chairperson as I'm sure we don't want to be commissioners who basically put out, you know, our thoughts on what things should, how things should happen, you know, in a, in a country that's in crisis right now. What we are doing is we are just, again, we are putting forward a request from someone who's trying to help animals, and uh, that's that's basically what we're doing.
8: So would, oh sorry, so would you then change the language of the letter, um, which I had open but immediately closed, um, that, you know, we implore your assistance in addressing these critical issues for Surlala, um, who are, requesting the following or something like
0: that i would change it so that we took out the we and all that wording so that i basically just laid out what they want i can Mm -hmm. i can revise it to such a way so it doesn't sound as again i can now see that after hearing from you that you know that this and you know that's part of the problem i wrote this up i read a couple times of myself but i probably should have had someone else read it to say oh wait a second michael do you understand what you're saying here so again it's so thank you so much i appreciate the feedback And I appreciate us working together on what I think is a very important matter. So, if we are okay with it, may I take another vote with that understanding? Okay, great. So, again. um, I apologize. I lost my train of notes here. Uh, So, uh, so we're going to vote on all four letters that were drafted with the revisions that we mentioned. In support of the rescue, the letters will be addressed again to um, Israeli Bas- Ambassador Herzog, Senator Butler, Senator Padilla, and Congresswoman Pelosi. Um when I call your name, please state yes if you're in favor of sending the letters after the revisions we talked about. Uh or if no, if you're not in favor. So uh Commissioner Bagandes? Yes. Commissioner Ozanoy? Yes. Commissioner Reed? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Tobin? Yes. And Commissioner Van Horn. Yes. Okay. And I as well. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. I will go ahead and work on that tomorrow and I will send the letters out tomorrow. And again, thank you commissioners for, um, uh, hearing me out and also for your open mindedness and for, you know, for your comments as well, because. That makes it a stronger letter. Okay, so moving on to items to be put on the agenda for future commission meetings. We're at that point. (laughs) Um, our next meeting will be on Thursday, February 8th. This meeting will be held in room 408 at City Hall, along with remote access. Please reach out to me by the Friday before our January meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents for our next meeting that will be on Friday, February 2nd. The agenda and any supporting documents provided by the Commission at that time, or to the Commission at that time will be uploaded to our website SF.gov forward slash animal commission the Monday evening before the meeting. So, for our next meeting, that will be Monday, February 5th. At our February meeting. Uh, we will have reporting from animal San Francisco animal care and control, including the quarterly reports for the July through September 2023 period and the October through December 2023 period. Uh, we will, all, we also hope to further discuss live animal market call responses as well as discuss some of the issues around recent calls regarding animal neglect. We also hope to go over any updates regarding the ACC recommendations approved by the commission earlier last year. Do any commissioners have any questions or anything else to add? Okay, if there's nothing further, we can adjourn. It is 7:06 PM. And we are adjourned. Good night, everyone. And thank you for being part of tonight's very informative and productive meeting. We'll see you all next month.